Okay, uh, well, this is Revelation 19, and uh, Revelation 19 is part of a uh, kind of a section of the book of Revelation uh, that is paired uh, with another section. And if you have your Bible, or if you have your pages, I'll show you what I mean. Uh, Revelation chapter 17 and verses 1 through 3, 17, 1 through 3. Uh, one of the angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Uh, and in verse 3, he says, He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. This is symbolic of the Roman Empire. Uh, God is foretelling their doom. That's chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Now, if you'll look at chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 and 10, Revelation 21, 9 and 10, there's a verse that is similar and yet very uh, contrasting to verse 17. In chapter 17, we see a vision of a prostitute. In chapter 21, we see a vision of a different woman. Take a look. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. That language is almost exactly the same as chapter 17. So it's tying back. You you remember in the book of Revelation, you have seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Okay, the angel with the seventh bowl then returns to John, shows him a vision of the prostitute, and here now in chapter 21, shows him, he says, do you look at, you see at verse 9, one of the angels came and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, and he carried me away in the spirit. So this carrying away in the Spirit happens in 17 and chapter 21. And the vision in 17 is this gaudy prostitute. And exactly the opposite, the vision in chapter 21 is the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So in the book of Revelation, as you think about it, the Revelation in the middle of it, there's a begin- it's like a football field. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and an end. That's the book of Revelation. Okay. Now, toward the, the end of the book, seals, trumpets, bowls, and then two women. Okay. And, and then as we head to the end. So, this chapter 19, you know, and they, they divided the book of Revelation up into chunks. And the, the chunk that we're going to look at, half of it, is part of that section dealing with the judgment on Rome, okay? God judging Rome. Part of chapter 19 is kind of the conclusion for that. And then the other part is beginning to transition to seeing this beautiful vision of the wedding of the Lamb, the bride of Christ, okay? So the harlot and the bride are juxtaposed, I like that word, where you're putting two opposite things together, and, and in putting them together, the, the, the meaning and the significance should be heightened. All right, now, uh, I, I did this once upon a time. I copied all the chapters, copied Revelation chapter by chapter. I taped them all together so I could see big chunks of it at a time. You can follow along with me if you want to. Uh, but So we looked at chapter 17, the beginning of it, 
And then as I'm looking through here, uh, chapter 18 and verse 1, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, verse 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven, um, and then chapter 19, verse 1, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice uh, of a great multitude, verse 6, 19, 6, this is our chapter, so pay attention. 19, 6, then I heard what seemed to be the voice. Uh, verse 9, the angel said to me, verse 11, then I saw heaven opened, verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, chapter 20, verse 1, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, chapter 20, verse 4, then I saw thrones, uh, Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne. Chapter 21, verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I I just want you to see what's happening here. Somebody described Revelation as a kaleidoscope of events, symbolic events. You you know what a, you remember kaleidoscope? You turn it, every time you turn it, there's a new thing. That's somewhat helpful. Another way to think of it is there's just this series of images that God is giving to John uh, through the angel. So he's just seeing these. Again, it's a symbolic vision that he had uh, on a Sunday afternoon when he was exiled on the island of Patmos. Okay, so here we are in chapter 9. And like I said, in chapter, sorry, sorry, chapter 19. And in chapter 19, there is a series of visions. And kind of right in the middle, because it's transitional, there's a look back to the judgment of the Roman Empire. Chapter 18, we talked about it last week. Amazing. is a mind-boggling chapter uh, full of references to actual products that Rome imported from all over the world during the height of the Roman Empire, which reminds us that John wrote this to them. This week I've been thinking, there's a phrase that's helpful to me, the Bible was written for us, not to us. The Bible wasn't written to us. We live in the West in the 21st century, but the Bible was written for us. Who was the Bible written to? Who was Revelation written to? It was written to seven actual churches that existed 2,000 years ago in what is now Turkey. Real people, just like you, living in a real place, just like this in many ways, uh, under the dominion of the Roman Empire. It was written to them, but through the Holy Spirit, it was also written for us. For us, not to us. Okay, There's a series of images in chapter 19, part of which are looking back to the judgment of the Roman Empire, the vision of the prostitute on the beast. But now also, you'll see it in verse 6, the perspective changes, and it's looking toward this beautiful image of this bride of Christ coming down from heaven. So chapter 19 is kind of looking both ways. It's a a, uh, transition. Okay? All right. Uh, I titled this chapter, Dinner's Ready. I titled this uh, lesson, Dinner's Ready, because there are two suppers in this chapter. There's, a, there's one that you would want to attend, and there was one that you would not want to attend. One is going to be good for Christians. 
The other one is going to be awful for non-Christians. Two banquets, two dinners. Uh, So dinner's ready. All right, Uh, let's see. Let's just... uh, Let's, let's read the chapter now, and I think I'll make some uh, comments as we go through it, and then uh, we'll have some words of application at the end of it. All right, so you've got the, you've got the whole page on, on Revelation 19. You're, you're looking at it. All right, so you can see, uh, again, after this I heard, verse 1, Verse 6, then I heard something else. Verse 9, then an angel says to me. Verse 11, then he saw sees something else. Uh, verse 17, he sees another angel. And in verse 19, he sees something else. All right, I saw this, then I saw that, then I saw this, then I saw that, etc. All right, here we go. Uh, verses 1 through 5 is really the conclusion to chapter 18. In chapter 18, God, through John, is foretelling the fall of the Roman Empire, which, again, I said, is amazing to me that... Do, do you know how, how Rome despised Christians? Do you know how despised Christians were in the Roman Empire? Do you know how tiny Christians were to the powerful Roman Empire... I, I read it with my own eyes uh, just yesterday morning. This historian Tacitus, as he's talking all about the Roman Empire, he talks about these Christians that followed this guy, Crestus, uh, who was executed, you know, off in some province somewhere. Uh, Christians were thought of as uh, cannibals. Why, why would Christians be thought of by, by secular Romans as cannibals? Sorry? What did he say? You got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. They don't understand. That's metaphor, right? Metaphor. Uh, uh, they didn't get that. So they, they spin that all out of proportion, uh, even as we heard in our prior message about spinning things out of proportion. They, they, they wrote them off. <laughs> Yet, this is, I don't know, compelling to me. The sovereign God of the universe gave this revelation to a single individual in exile on Patmos. He has no political power. He has virtually no cultural influence in Rome, in Roman culture or the Roman Empire. But he's like the guy in Ecclesiastes. He's the poor, wise man that nobody's listening to, but he is telling the world at that time, how it's going to be, because he's hearing from God. All right, uh, so 19, 1 through 5 uh, is, is alluding back to chapter 18. In, in chapter 18, woe, is, woe to Babylon. The smoke is going up forever. Uh, three times, woe unto you, O great city of Babylon. Everybody's uh, saying this, and to to match or in contrast to the woes that are coming to this great empire of Rome. Incidentally, is the Roman Empire around today? No, it is not. No, it is not. It fell, just like John said it was gonna. Just like God said it was gonna. Okay, uh, so answering to those woes in chapter eighteen. Do you, see, do you see the main word in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 19? 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, here, let's read it. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Have you ever been late to a basketball game or a football game? And you're in the corridors, you're not in the arena yet, or you're not out on the field, but a great cheer goes up. You're like, oh, what happened? What happened? Even worse, have you ever left a baseball game or a football game, great cheer goes up, and you're like, ah, what happened? You know, i got to go to the car and switch the radio on. He's hearing this loud, loud, uh, loud voice of a great multitude crying out. It's a loud voice. It's a great multitude. These people are excited. And here's what they say. Can you picture it? (sighs) Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. And has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Uh, That's an exhortation or that's a description of worship. That's a big theme in this chapter. And so personal application to all of us is to think about our worship. Do we ever worship the terrible, holy wrath of God that has been poured out on the wicked? That's what's happening here. True and just are his judgments. He has judged the great prostitute. And that summarizes that whole section, chapters uh, 17 to 18. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The, The empire is fallen. There's no more oppression. There's no more persecution. There's no more eking out a living in this hostile culture. Uh, Her smoke goes up forever and ever. Um, The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God. Now, somebody tell me, where have we heard of these creatures before? Yeah, earlier in the book. This is just one prophecy here. It's mind-boggling. It's like if you ever went to see Fantasia, Walt Disney back in the day, it's like, oh, I've never seen anything like this before. Neither had John. But, but it's all a piece. And so in verse 4, think of this. Verse 4 goes back to chapter 4. 24 elders and four living creatures. Where are they, incidentally? They're around the throne of God. Okay? Uh, see? They worship, and, and not just one seated on the throne, but here we're told straight up, they worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And excuse me, from the throne came a voice saying, we don't know who said it, who it was, but praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Now we'll come back to that, but uh, here is an opportunity for us to be reminded of who we are as Christians. Uh, and again, we'll, we'll come back to that. So that's the conclusion. That's That's the heavenly perspective. That's the Christian perspective on the fall of Rome. Rome was prophesied as creating grief and despair among one group of people who worshipped that affluent Roman Empire. 
And yet another group of people are rejoicing at the fall of Rome. So the question goes up to us, where's our allegiance? Where's our allegiance? Are we consorting with the prostitute of world temporary material culture? Or are we anticipating the wedding of the Lamb? Are we part of the bride? Okay, which, which woman are we, uh, are we part of? All right, second, second section. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Three times he describes it. The voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters. You've been to Niagara Falls. You've been to some great pounding, roaring cataract. Um, um, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. This is, John never forgot it. It was, I can't, I can't begin to describe it. But, but how would you react viscerally if you were there? It would just grab you by the throat and, and capture your attention. This is the sound of this voice that he's hearing. And once again, matching the gloom and doom of this mighty empire crashing and burning uh, as it falls, here uh, is this praise, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Verse 7, let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, parentheses, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. See, this spectacular revelation is given to John to encourage people like you. So, as, as they were living right in the middle of this Roman Empire that was so powerful and oppressive, they were designed to be a people who had a hope out there in the distance, even though the circumstances of their life might be very difficult. This is instructive for us, sitting here in these chairs in this room. We're to be a people who are forward-looking. We're to be a people with an unshakable hope. Regardless of the circumstances and the situations in which we find ourselves. And look around the room. We've already talked about some of them during our prayer time. Those things suck the joy out of us. They intimidate us. They create doubt. They create discomfort. In the midst of that, this is so important for the Christian. In the midst of it, while you're walking through the furnace... While the flood is up to your nostrils, while you have no idea why in the world this is happening, whatever this may be, in the midst of that, you're supposed to hear this heavenly chorus. Are these people indifferent about this? No, they are not. They're filled with joy. Look at it again. Let us rejoice and exult And give him the glory, for this affliction has only gotten us closer to the marriage of the Lamb, and his bride has made herself ready. What is this marriage of the Lamb? What is this bride who has made herself ready? That's you and me. That's the Christians that were living uh, under Roman oppression in the first century. That is us. Now, 
What does this say about our God? What does this say about our Savior who came, was completely rejected, was eventually crucified, died through Roman execution under the Roman Empire in order to, as a sacrifice, bear the sins of people like us so that he could assuage the wrath of a perfectly and terribly holy God and portray that eventual meeting as a wedding. What is a wedding? It's a, what is it? It's a time of excitement. It it, it is a time that people yearn for. Y'all know Holden Shea and Kaylin uh, Wilson? Just go look at them. They just got engaged very recently. Just look at the way she looks at him. Just think about how he is anticipating this wedding day. That metaphor, that feeling of all the hope and joy of youth and all that, that is how God describes your eventual reunion with him. That's how he describes it. What does that say about him? That he's a groom. That he's anticipating this covenant, eternal covenant intimacy with you. What does that say about him? God is love. He loves it. He can't wait. Do you remember what Hebrews said? For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You remember that? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That's, that's talking about how much he loves you. That's what that's talking about. Okay. Uh, the marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. Now, the bride made herself ready. Yeah, but it was given to her to clothe herself with fine linen. You can look back to chapter 18 and recognize that fine linen was a big deal in Roman culture. Uh, the Roman uppity-ups loved to dress themselves in fine linen. Guess what? Uh, the Christians who were despised, overlooked, uh, they're clothed in fine linen, bright and pure. And it's the righteous deeds of the saints. God gives us this righteousness, and then we live into it. We, we respond to Him. Why? Because He loves us. Because He's betrothed Himself to us. Because He forgave us. Because we matter to Him. And so we gladly respond. We keep our eyes fixed on Him. Uh, we have joy in light of present painful circumstances. All right, next section, uh, verse 9 and 10. This truly is kind of a central core here. The angel said to me, write this. this the angel's talking to John at that point. He's, had this, he, he, he's having this vision. He's so excited, so excited with this vision. Then the angel kind of breaks in, says to John, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you know that there are seven statements of blessing in the book of Revelation? Blessed are those who... This is four, if you're counting. I'm sure you're not. It's four of seven. This is number four of seven. So we've got three more blessings uh, to come. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you remember I said there were two suppers in this chapter? That's the first one. That's the one you don't want to miss. 
That's the one to which you're invited. Hey, incidentally, have you accepted that invitation? Do you know how, how to accept that invitation? That invitation comes from Jesus Christ. And it means turning from all your prior obligations. It means turning from all of the fashionable things that you think you might want to wear and taking His garments of righteousness. Not any righteousness of your own, uh, not any intrinsic worth of your own, but, but taking what He has to give you to show up to the event that He has planned. Putting your future in His hands. That's kind of what that involves. Now, uh, John, oh, so overwhelmed, he hears this. Uh, he f- falls down at his feet to worship this angel. But the angel said to him, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. You need to worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, that's an infinitely difficult phrase to understand. But it talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us revelation from God. He spoke to the prophets just like he speaks to the apostles. Communication of truth comes from God through the Holy Spirit to actual people. And the, and the core of the communication from God, do you see it it's repeated two times, is the testimony or the message about Jesus. So anybody who claims to have a message from God that isn't talking about Jesus, don't listen to that, okay? Worship God. Now, do you see it as I do that the Trinity is mentioned here? Uh, God, uh, Jesus, the Spirit, uh, all, all in this context of truth and worship. All right, now, here's the kind of the, uh, it gets a little bleaker here, verse uh, 11. Well, not here, but the next one. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Who do you think this is sitting on this horse, this white horse? His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, many crowns, uh, kind of like the beast. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, which we've already heard about, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations... And he will rule them as a king with a rod of iron. Quoting now from famous Psalm 2. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who's sitting on that horse? Jesus Christ. How is he described? What is he like? What does he do? You could go back to that vision of Jesus Christ uh, that, that reminds us of the vision of Christ in chapter 1. You could go back to this vision and ask those questions. What are his names? Friends, he's, he's not named inaccurately. When we read that he's called the Word of God, that means you can count on who he is and what he says. When it says that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, you need to know 
that he is the ultimate. He's the ultimate, not you, not anybody else. He is the ultimate one. And then there's parts of him that nobody's ever going to understand because he's infinite. He's got a name that nobody knows uh, but himself, uh, verse 12. Okay, uh, now two more sections, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God. Remember I said there were two dinners? Okay, the first one was the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, Here's the second one, the great supper of God, verse 18. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. All the buzzards come gather all the buzzards because there's getting ready to be a pile of humanity unlike any the world has ever seen. And then here's the last image. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, go back to chapter 13, and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. So, John is saying, there's two great dinners in the future coming up. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb that is for all of those who have the fine linen of of the righteousness of God Himself that was given to them. And then there's everybody else. There's the the ones who have worshipped and consorted with the prostitute. And there are the ones that are betrothed to the bride. That's it. There's only two groups of people. And we, we see the respective futures, more about the future of God's people. Uh, but here we see the eventual destruction of, of all of the enemies of God. So part of worship is glorifying the holy God for judging the wicked. Because he's holy and just. So when you wonder about fairness... And you ask those big questions about how could this happen? How, how, how could a loving God allow blah, blah, blah? And I don't, I'm, not, I'm respecting those questions. Those are good, real, solid questions. When you ask those questions, you need to know that this life as we know it is, is not the end. That the end is coming. And the end will involve holy God judging wickedness. Wrath being poured out, consuming wrath poured out. And that's your destiny unless you're part of the bride of Christ. Unless you're leaving the world and all of its seductions and allurements 
and saying, Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and, and I'm following you. It, it really boils down to that. So in your worship, you worship the holy God. And as you see yourself as a Christian in this life, which is at times very difficult, uh, we're always to rejoice in the Lord. We're to worship Him. Understanding that as incredible as it may seem, we're deeply loved. We're engaged to Him. And during this time of engagement, before the actual consummation of the wedding, we want to be faithful and keep our hearts and our minds and our eyes on the lover of our souls. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this word. It's a, in many respects, terrible word of judgment. And Lord, we don't think about that a whole lot. We just think life's going to go on the way it always has. But you're saying to us, uh, through John, it's not. Uh, The Romans may have thought that empire was going to last forever, but it did not. Nor is any other uh, earthly empire or kingdom, but only yours, is going to last forever. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be uh, influenced by the future in our present lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.